I love new beginnings. We just had a new start of the church year with Advent. That's the time when a new year starts for the church. And at Easter, I always feel like it's a new beginning, new life. The Jesus is risen. There's, there's something newness about Easter and spring. My birthday is in June, so I start a new life year in June. And then every September, whether I'm in school or not, I get this itch to buy new pencils and new, new notebooks, you know, because it's a new school year. And of course, we have January, the beginning of the new calendar. And that's what we're in. That's past the mat started with a really good start of focusing on stewardship. And I have the privilege of speaking on giving. A couple of months ago, I, um, even before this was in anyone's mind, I offered to Pastor Matt to speak about that because since we give to his salary, it's kind of hard for him to, to really say, come on, folks. So I offered it. It seemed like such a good idea at the time, didn't it? <laughs> so here we are. Let me start by telling you a parable. There was once a king. He was a very powerful and wise and very rich king. His land was beautiful. The mountains were high with snow peaks. The the lakes were clear, sweet water. And the land was very fertile, very green. This king, he had everything anyone could wish. His granaries and his barns were full to overflowing. His treasury chest and his vaults just filled, were filled with gold and silver and, and precious stones. He had any resource and all resources that a person could ever wish. This king wanted to share his land, his country. So he invited people to come and settle in his land, in his country, on, on his land, and to make a good life for themselves with the resources they could find right there. And people came. And he loved the people. And he said, I only ask two things of you. One is that you will acknowledge me as your king. And the second is that at regular times you will bring me a tribute. Give me of all the riches you have. Give me some of that. Okay. People lived in the land, and the first harvest was bountiful. There was so much, and gladly they said, it's the king who has given us this rich land. And they brought him tribute out of the, the produce they had grown, the animals they had bred, and whatever they had made with their hands and had sold. And so it went for a number of years, until the next generation came up. There were people who brought tribute, and as the king had told them, they could ask him for anything they wanted. When they were in want, he gave it to them according to his wisdom. But with the new generation, there were some who had never seen the king. Their parents had never asked him for anything. They had always made do with what they had, and they even came to doubt. Was there such a person as a king? And as the years went by, they 
saw that they could make a good life for themselves. Who needed that king? And why would we even give him tribute? I mean, we worked hard for this. This is our own work. He has plenty, if, if, if he's even there. But there were still people who continued to give tribute out of gratitude for what this king had given to them. There were also people, yeah, they gave tribute, but they did it out of a law, out of a rule. This is what we have to do. There was no gratitude. There was no love. And yet they continued to give. And so it went for many years until one year the crops failed. At that time, those who didn't recognize the king anymore and just had their own, their own thing that they had raised or, or grown or what they had earned, they just made do with what they had. They didn't think of asking the king for help. There were those, even those, who still gave the tribute, who were sorely tempted to give when there was only so little. But the ones who did and asked for help, they received help according to the king's wisdom. That seems to be the situation we are in right now. The people who won't even recognize and acknowledge the king, our God. The land is our world, a beautiful world, rich in everything. And the tribute, that's the money we give to God. Now here is a reality check. There are people who actually um, get numbers from denominations on how much people give. And between 19, the late 1960s and the early 2000s, the average church member in the, in the late 60s gave 3.1% of their income. By the early 2000s, it was down to 2.66%. And by 2010, it was down to 2.2%. Now, there is, a difference, is there a difference, you might ask, between maybe liberal Christians and evangelicals? In the late 60s, mainline Protestants gave 3.3%, and it went down in the 2000s to 317 it did go down. Among evangelicals in the late 60s, evangelicals gave 6.15%, almost double. But by the early 2000s, it had gone down to 4.2%. So how much should we give? Does that even matter? We give, right? We still acknowledge that there is something like a God that he needs to be given to. Well, in the Old Testament, giving of a tenth goes way back to Genesis. Genesis 14 is the first time where giving a tenth to God or to a representative of God is mentioned. When Abraham gave Melchizedek, the priest of God, 10% of everything he had. In the rest of the Old Testament, the giving of a tenth or a tithe gets different forms and, and different ways are expressed in the Old Testament. How about the New Testament? Jesus talks more about money than about any other topic 
He has a lot to say about money. However, he never says, you have to give 10%. He doesn't say, blessed are those who tithe. Ah, he does say something else about tithing, though. In Luke 11, <clears throat> verse 42, this is not the, in the blessings part, this is in the woes. So this is where something not good happens. And Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth, even of your kitchen herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So the Pharisees, they were the, the strict Jews of that time who kept strictly to the law, so strict that if they had a pot of parsley at home, if they snipped 10 leaves, they gave one to the temple. Well, that's a little ridiculous. That's a little over the top. But that's how strict they were in giving their tithe. But they forgot the most important thing, the attitude of the heart. Jesus mentions the tithe one more time in Luke 18, and again with a Pharisee. This is in the parable of where Jesus compares the, the Pharisee and the sinner of all sinners, a tax collector. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Jesus doesn't mention giving a tenth as something that everyone should do because the Jews took that for granted. That was in God's law. That was what everyone already understood you were supposed to do. It's not that everyone did it, but that was what, what as a Jew, you were supposed to do. And the Pharisees took it very, very literal. But they did not have the heart of gratitude, of love for God. As we read in um, 1 Corinthians 13, even if you give everything, even your whole life, even your body, but you do it not out of love, it's worth nothing. Now there is a bigger perspective. Jesus, talking a lot about money, has this to say, <clears throat> when some of the Jews try to trap him. They want Jesus to say something that they can report to the Romans so that they will arrest him and they will be rid of Jesus. So they showed him, um, they, they asked him, is it right to pay taxes? This was a contentious thing at the time. But Jesus saw right through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. What all belongs to God? 
everything? So maybe the question of tithing is not so much I get to give 10%, but I get to keep 90%. God has given us everything. I think sometimes we lose sight of that big picture. There is another twist to the story. Luke 21. Here Jesus sits in his usual place in the temple to teach the people who came to hear him. And it was a place from where he could see the treasury box. He could see who came to, to donate something. So as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So here we get a, a sense that it is not about the amount of money it is much more about why you give it and, and the attitude of your heart for giving. In this story, we see a sacrificial giving. It was a real sacrifice. It was all she had. And maybe you've seen it in the bulletin sometimes that when it's time for the offering, we add, it is said it's time for tithes and offerings. Now, offering is a, is a word out of sacrifice language. The tithe is the 10%, a tribute to God. But then above and beyond, we give sacrificially. We give to the Agape Fund, maybe, for people in need. We give to missions, to missionaries through our church or people we know. We give in other ways to people in need, to good causes. Those are our offerings, what we give sacrificially. Someone once said, give until it hurts. That's how much we are to give. Jesus actually asked us to give that much. In Luke 6, there is a verse that says, Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Boy, that is a... Yeah, it's in that paragraph of love your enemies, so this is a biggie, this is a difficult one. Give to whoever ask, asks of you. But even more, in verse 38... Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So God may ask of us, but he gives. He gives promises on promises that he will take care of us. Some people have actually done research in that as well. 
A study was done recently among 4,400 some people who tithe. Turned out that 97% of them gave, gave priority to their local church. The people who are most generous actually give to their church. It's not charitable giving so much. And this is another statistic that I have read it. Generosity comes from people who give to their church and then above and beyond. Of people who tithe, those 4,040 who were um, asked, 63% started that habit somewhere between childhood and early teens. I tell you, it is much easier to start off when you start earning with already giving to God than when you have to adjust it later. Teach your kids to give. 70% of tithers gave based on gross income, just in case you had a question about that. 77% give more than 10%. Now about those promises of God. Among these tithers, 80% had no unpaid credit card bills. 74% don't own anything on their car or don't, don't have anything that they still need to pay. 48% own their own home. 28% are completely debt-free. I would say that is a lifestyle worthy to follow after. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Giving is about trusting about trusting God that he will be true to his promises. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, made a point that the love of money is the root of all evil. See, again, it's the matter of the heart. Where is your heart? And I assure you, you don't have to have money in order to love money. Maybe you think, oh, it's those rich people. They just want more and more and more. No, no. You don't have to have a whole lot in order to have your life ordered around by money. I need to earn more. Spend your hours in your second and third job and neglect your family. I cannot volunteer. It needs to be paid. I cannot give this because I have these bills. I cannot... That is putting money higher than your trust in God. In Luke 16, <clears throat> Jesus said the following, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word used is, here is mammon. No doubt you've heard of that. Sometimes it's personified as, as, as a force that people serve or that has a hold on you. Mammon can also mean security. Where is your security? Do you trust God or have you put your trust in the money that is somewhere that is supposed to keep you safe and fed and warm and 
Is that your security? To offset the love of money, Paul said another thing. God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. That is the opposite. When you can so trust God and not put your trust in money that you can give cheerfully, be happy about it. Not, oh, I have to give. Not the last budget item, if you have something left. But freely, gladly, because it is for the God who provides everything for you. He will. Um, one of the early missionaries to China, J. Hudson Taylor, he broke away from a mission organization that he was with and who paid his salary in order to start one of the first faith missions where he would never ask for money. He would pray it in. And at one time, they were in such dire straits that he wrote in his diary, we have two pennies and all the promises of God. So who's the poor guy then, huh? From the beginning of our marriage, God has rattled our financial cage and asked us to be generous. At one point in our lives, we gave most of our disposable income. It was a sort of a test case to see if God would provide. And he did, miraculously, time after time after time. And at that point, I understood that the money that, here, my statement says I have in the bank does not mean as much, is not as secure as all the promises that God gives me that he will take care of me. The money in your bank, you know it can be stolen. Someone can con you out of it. Your bank can fold. Your dollar may not worth something at some point in time. This has happened throughout history. All these things. But the promises of God are sure. So this is what tithing and giving is about our heart attitude and our faith. God, in fact, doesn't need our money. The church does, but God doesn't. <laughs> God created the world without a penny. He provided our salvation, our sanctification, without any money. How much did you pay to be saved? Nothing. It doesn't work like that with God. And yet, in spite of the fact that God doesn't need our money, he will use every penny in his kingdom. God doesn't need our money. We need to give. It's for us. There are four reasons why we need to give. First of them is God says it. You want to be obedient? Then give. Be generous. The second one is, God is generous. If we want to be Christ-like people, faithful followers of God, when someone can say, that, if that is what God is like, I want to love that God too and follow him, then we need to be generous too. The third reason is that giving diminishes the power that money can have over us. 
One time, when we came back from the mission field and we were on furlough in the U.S., boy, I saw so many things that I wanted to have. I believe at that time it was a microwave that specifically attracted me. But we didn't have that much money, so I decided to pray for it. And I asked, Lord, I would like some more money. We need it. And God said, give it away. God, I don't think you heard me right. I said, I need more money. Give it away. Ah, the light started to dawn. I was getting in the grip of, I need more and more. And in order to loosen those claws, I needed to let go. I can assure you, I don't remember what all our need was and our wants, but God provided for every need we had. He still does. And the fourth point, why we should give and give generously, is because that is how God's kingdom works. Read the Bible. There are so many stories of God's provision. Maybe not in money, but in the Old Testament. Water, oil, flour, manna. Um, the ravens brought bread and water. Um, there is an abundance, water out of a rock. God has so many ways of providing. In our kingdom, in our economics here in, in the world, we have, say, this much money, we give this much away, so we have this much left, right? So if you give this much, you only have this much left. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. Give. God's kingdom is not a zero-sum economy. He has all the resources men, men and women could ever need. Now, we know that the Israelites were not always faithful in bringing their tithes because Malachi wrote about that. In Malachi 3, Boy, it says the day of judgment. God says, I will judge you. I will be quick to testify against those who did wrong. Descendants of Jacob, don't turn away from me. And then there is a dialogue. But you ask, how are we to return? And God says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that you will not have room enough for it. Normally, we're not supposed to test God, but he offers it here. What do you say? Let's trust God and start giving generously so that God can pour out his blessings. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. That's not what I mean, because you never know when he's going to ask for more. That's not the point. And you, you will know it 
when you start trusting God like this, that that's not the point of it. You will be drawn closer and closer to God and see wonderful things happen in your own life and through the money or whatever it is that you give away. So one of the options is to give to missions, to give to the work that others do. We cannot all go, but we have sent out a number of people from our congregation. And there are others from other churches that are in places where they tell people about the Lord, where they build hospitals, where they help people. One of the ways to give is through faith promise. Now, faith promise is a very well-instituted um, thing in the Church of the Nazarene. Usually it's presented as something that we promise by faith to do for God. I want to turn that around. I want you all to ask God how much he wants you to give. How much will God promise to give you to give to missions? I assure you, I have tested God like that. And some crazy amounts have come in my head and some crazy amounts God has provided for. So as we, as we prepare to um, fill in our little forms here, let's ask God, Lord, how do you want to stretch me? I want to trust you more. I want to see you more at work in my life. How much shall I give? What is the amount that you are going to give to me so that I can give it to missions? We will hear the choir sing, I surrender all. And let's mean it. That we take God seriously on his word. We do not want to be functional atheists who say that we trust God, but I keep rule over my money. Let's give him our all. Amen. <laughs>